27th of July. Zama Jobe with the beautiful renditions of Ndawayami. Good evening, everybody. It's indeed the final week of the, well, final week of this July month. Mandela month is just about wrapped. We're going to August next week, which is the last month officially of winter. Of course, COVID times are still upon us and you're all still encouraged to observe all the directions of government to the extent that they are clear, lucid, and followable, if there ever is such a word. And of course, we do, we still um, commiserate with those who have been hard hit by this pandemic economically and worse, their lives. Those who have since passed on, we certainly do extend our sincerest heartfelt thoughts to you and your extended family. Nonetheless, the show does go on here on The Viewpoint, and there's plenty to talk about. For now, Mr. Claude Nyker, National Manager, Members Affairs at the Public Service Association. And we know, we know because we hear it all the time, 123 days in, thousands of civil servants, um, civil servants rather, have been infected. Many are downing tools, many are pledging silent protests, many are cashing in on their leave days, and those who have been able to retire have done so because it seems to be very difficult for them, at least on their part, on their word, to continue rendering their services replete with all the risks it is to even go to work. We know since lockdown in March, 21,000, as many as 21,000 civil servants have been infected by COVID-19. Well, let's have a conversation then with the Public Association through its National Manager for Member Affairs, Mr. Claude Nyker. Claude, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Very good evening to you. Thank you. Heavy days for your members, isn't it? I mean, this is not good. Essentially, it means the workplace isn't a safe space for them to do what they're employed to do, to deliver effectively essential services to you and me. Very tough times. It is indeed. And I think at the onset of the lockdown, it was just the essential services workers that were that were required to render services. But obviously, as we move from level four to level three, uh, right. There were more opening of public sector departments, and more staff was obviously required to attend to work. And this meant more um, public servants using taxis. More public servants mm-hmm. were required to go to work. There were serious pressure on officials as well to make sure that these public servants are safe. And unfortunately, at this stage, we are having a severe problem with trying to monitor the workplace to ensure that they comply with the necessary COVID regulations. And it's getting I mean, really start, serious out there. Sure, I beg your pardon for interrupting you, but I mean, I, th- I suppose the starting point is any workplace has to meet bare minimum requirements for safety because not only could in the worst case scenario be criminal elements charged at whoever is forcing employees to go to work in the dangers of the environment, it is certainly a civil matter that could potentially be levied against whoever the employer is. But even beyond that, it is an occupational issue. I mean, there's an act called COIT, Occupational Injuries and Diseases. This is a classic case of how now to ensure your labor inspectors among many, the workplace remains as safe as space as ever before because it doesn't at all, just because we have COVID and the National Disaster Act is at play, suspend the operation of the labor laws that ought to nonetheless be employed. Absolutely. Um, I think in certain departments, looking at the infrastructure, the workspace itself, If all the regulations have been followed in terms of the health protocols, 
you would be able to safely ensure that these employees are safe at work. If you ensure that the one-third workforce at any given time is at the workplace, you might be able to mitigate these risks. However, if you look at a center like correctional services, I think if you look at the number of infection among the prisoners itself or the incarcerated, that is proving to be an extra burden on our correctional services office because one of the centers or one of the institutions that we're currently facing a crisis is that the infection rate among correctional services offices is on the increase. We've made a number of proposals uh, to the correctional services department to say, listen, these are some of the factors that you should take into account to try and mitigate this risk, bearing in mind over and above the minimum requirements that you indicated in terms of COIDA, in terms of health protocols, that we try and obviously safeguard these. But unfortunately, some of these issues are beyond us and it's causing to be a problem, especially among correctional services officers, our SAPS employees, and also nurses as well. One of the critical issues among nurses or the nursing staff or the health institutions, you will recall about three years ago, public service vacancies were frozen. In other words, departments weren't employing new staff. And as a result of COVID being upon us, staff are now having to bear the brunt of having to work for two or three other employees who ideally that the public service should have been staffed properly to cater for this stuff. But this is not helping. It's taking its toll among these employees. We're finding a lot of nurses are being infected now. We're also finding a lot of our staff in essential services are having to take sick leave simply because they haven't taken their normal vacation leave that was due to them by the end of June. Fortunately, mm-hmm. we managed to agree that uh, they will be given until December, a further six months, in order to take their leave, vacation leave. Leave that is due to them that was supposed to be taken right up to the end of December last year. Itself. So you can imagine how exhausted these uh, personnel are. And that's obviously taking its toll on them as well. We're in conversation for those who have just joined with Mr. Claude Nyker, the National Manager for Member Affairs at the Trade Union Public Service Association. The biggest concern is that their over 250,000 members are in grave and serious risk amid the the coronavirus pandemic, not least because not only are they the forefront of workspaces like your hospitals, your police stations and doing related safety and security work, they are grossly understaffed, whereas many businesses are going on skeleton staff. The opposite is true for the PSA because their minimum staff is expected to double up and in some instances triple up to cover for the shortages in the public service to cover for the work of suddenly the increased movement for people as a response to COVID-19. The question is, to what extent have you at home been affected by this? Are you a member of the union? Do you have any comments to your, essentially your manager, really, Mr. Claude, um, Claude Nike, I beg your pardon. Let's continue then the conversation, 8.20. Claude, where to from here? Are government and government institutions, generally speaking, Mr. Claude Nike, engaging with you? Not only are you highlighting these problems, which for the most part we have known they have been there, it was always a matter of time before they exploded, and it seems like matters are at that point now. Are you able to at least get credible engagements with your stakeholders in the public service themselves at a political level for the interests of your members? 
Yeah, in, in a sense that regulations have made provision where employees are forced to have health and safety committees, what we commonly refer to as steering committees of departments. Um, in most departments, to be quite frank, they are uh, engaging with unions. There are some departments which, once they've engaged and they go back to obviously reneging on some of the decisions that we take on, on, on issues, simple issues like ensuring that staff are properly screened before they come to work or over the weekend or, or return back from the weekend, that they're properly screened. Uh, at the onset, we call for all public servants to be screened thoroughly when they get returned to work. The other issue is that, as I mentioned earlier, infrastructure at some workplaces are not conducive mm. for the one-third workforce. So we ask them Absolutely. you need to be a little bit vigilant in this respect, that you need to reduce the work front. You need to reduce the workforce. Find other ways of staff working remotely. This can happen. The COVID has taught us a number of things that we weren't able to do previously that we can now actually manage. So we, we ask employers to look at innovative ways of trying to keep the workforce at home where necessary, only in essential or critical services that you will obviously ask staff to come to work. In some cases, some employees, to be quite frank, have been adhering to this, have been engaging us, have been listening to us. On the other hand, some of the other employees have blatantly disregarded these rules. And we've seen in those departments... Who are those guys? Who are those guys who are blatantly disregarded? is one of them, where we've made a number of proposals to them for instance, uh, community correction services. We've indicated All right, hold that thought, those. please. No, no, I want I you to you hold part. the thought there, Claude, because I want you to hold the thought, please, because I do want to take you on the other side of the break, which we have to take now. At this sure. point, I also call on the community who are listening and part of this conversation on 0891-104-207 to give us a call. Your experiences specifically with the problem department, correctional services, that's Ronald Lamona's department, correctional services and justice. What are your thoughts on that? We, I mean... If the problems are what Claude is talking about very briefly, it means we can expect to see more. However, it might have happened in Marmelsbury, where we saw some, what, 70, 80 prisoners who escaped. Your thoughts on that and more after the break. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Call Songhezo now. 0891-104-207. In conversation with Mr. Claude Nyker, National Manager, Member Affairs, Public Service Association, their members, some 250,000 plus of them, are at serious risk of contracting the COVID-19 pandemic because of all the issues associated with shortcomings in the public service, in the police service, in the schools, in the prisons in particular, and of course in hospitals and more, including but not limited to emergency workers. The Department of Correctional Services, in Claude's view, has been very difficult. And we have seen what this has done. Particularly, I know, for instance, in the Eastern Cape, there were very early outbreaks, serious numbers of their members contracting the virus. Your thoughts on that? We welcome Claude back on the line to continue the conversation, specifically his issue with the Correctional Services Department. Yeah, as I was saying just before the break, we made a number of proposals to to try and curb the, the infection rate among our correctional services officers. Uh, a lot of this did not take place, and as uh, quite rightly pointed out, we've seen the infection rate among these officers 
increased tremendously, particularly in the Eastern Cape initially, um, in the Western Cape as well. Uh, one of the proposals we made for those that are in the uh, community correction services that um, interviewing these parolees and so forth should be held in the veins for now because obviously with the contact interviews with these parolees, you are more prone to this infection rate. Uh, unfortunately, that has got unhindered, and, and we've seen that it's having a devastating effect on these correctional services officers. We've also noted today reports coming from our various officers that we found a number of correctional services officers having to take leave because obviously of being infected. Mm. This is now placing a strain on the current workforce that is there. Sooner or later yes, in the month's time, you probably might have a very depleted workforce trying to, to, to obviously man the correctional centers, and you're going to be faced with a serious crisis. I mean, there is, of course, a big hoo-ha, justifiably so, among South Africans, once it has become clear that the many number of PPE tenders that have been distributed so far in the country have gone to politically connected persons. If that's not the outcry, it is because the tenders themselves are seriously overpriced. If that's not the outcry, whether I needed most of these PPEs and whether books suggest that there has been a tender that has gone out, they actually are not there. What can you tell us in terms of the experience of your members and accessing the, at least at a bare minimum, what they need to be able to go to work? Well, obviously on entering the workforce, you need to be screened. You need temperatures to be taken, ensure that they have the necessary masks, um, sanitizers. Uh, we've had a lot of workplaces where sanitizers was of very poor quality. Um, nurses, for one, have not been given the required number of masks. These masks had to be utilized on a continuous basis from Monday to Friday uh, without being given an opportunity, obviously, to clean these masks, uh, give it an opportunity to dry and then wear it again because they've been issued with so little PPEs. We have been, as the PSA, been at the forefront of sourcing masks because there's been an outcry from our members saying, listen, we do not have necessary masks, we do not have sufficient masks. We have procured that from union funds to obviously try and assist these employees wherever we can. Obviously, trying to do this for the entire workforce of the public service is going to be a mammoth task, but we're doing our bit to try and assist members wherever possible. Clearly, um, members would not ask for masks if they did not have these masks itself. So that is of a serious concern, and mask is one of the most essential of those PPEs, I think, to protect against those viruses. And we didn't have that. The president spoke a little earlier about the need to recruit as many as 12,000 more nurses, doctors, physiotherapists to deal, of course, with the upsurge in hospital cases. But where else are you seeing a critical shortage among your member affiliations where if it isn't attended to? we can expect to have a more dour conversation about these issues, say, in two to three months from now, when supposedly the second wave is upon us. Yeah, I, I, I think um, you might find a lot of departments might be able, who are not service-orientated, uh, might be able to, to manage, might be able to go on with their daily duties. Other departments like Home Affairs, for example, uh, where there was a critical shortage of staff prior to COVID is still in, mm -hmm. in jeopardy. 
the health institutions, I think they've been severely hit because sure. we've been painstakingly for the last three years asking the department to try and fill vacancies, to try and avoid the situation from from health personnel getting burnt out. This was well before COVID hit our shores. And now that COVID has hit our shores, it has shown exactly how far or how short our resources are or inefficient our resources are to actually cope with COVID. We've heard a lot of talk, yes, about employing 12,000 extra um, health personnel. This has not taken place yet. Every single day that goes by, you have a situation where nurses are being overworked, and no wonder you are seeing an increase in sick leave, you are seeing an increase in in nursing personnel being burnt out, requiring counseling. In a lot of institutions, mm-hmm. we've got reports indicating that, listen, that nurses are requiring counseling during this critical period itself. So there is, it's already taken its effect prior to COVID. It's just been exacerbated now because the crunch is upon us. Where are the public service employees who are part of the SAFM Viewpoint family? Your thoughts are most welcome, please, on 0891-104-207. We are in conversation with Mr. Claude Nyker, who's the National Manager for Member Affairs at the PSA. That's the Public Service Association. Claude, let's talk about the fact that we are in level three, um, let's say level three advance. I don't know whatever that means. At least you are happy in relation to that. Of course, it would be better for your members, at least, if the traffic in terms of where they work was slowed down. And the only way to do that is to increase the level regulations from three to four and ultimately to five. But of course, that is not likely to happen given the concerns that people have, not dismissible concerns, but certainly concerns in relation to the economy. Of course, the next step from where we are is level two. And inherently what that means is everything you are saying now can only get worse, given the fact that the risks are all associated with those who have to be at the interface with the public, who have to be meeting with the public. And of course, the increased traffic on the roads, use of public transport and related facilities simply means your members can only be more at risk. Do you fear that to the extent that you do, how much is the fear and what are the conversations in preparation for level two? Yeah, we, we're still battling to um, time on board when Level 3 was introduced. So Level 2 is going to be serious issues. So we are being extremely, extremely vigilant to the extent that um, um, the steering committees that I mentioned earlier, that we are actively engaging the employer to ensure that in the event that Level 2 does come about, that we are prepared. How far prepared we are, we'll obviously have to assess that when the situation comes into effect. The reason I say that is that you can only do so much at the moment with the current workforce that you are putting into place the different regulations and health protocols. We hope that those departments that were a little bit lackadaisical of the whole approach will come to the party and see, listen, we have a problem. Because what really happens is that in some departments, I'll give an example like DTI, Department of Trade and Industry, where there is a suspected case, they go about mm-hmm. the protocols, do the decontamination, and then it's back to normal again. It's like a piecemeal approach. And then what we've found is that on a weekly basis, 
you're getting more and more staff that are infected. So had you taken necessary precautions from the onset, I don't think we'd be seeing a situation in a particular department like DTI that we're experiencing currently. If you have a situation where an employee is infected, there are protocols in place. Um, you need to make sure that all these protocols are followed to the hilt so that you don't have a repeat of this. You don't have a start-stop situation as far as service delivery is concerned. I think every time you get a staff that is infected, we take one or two steps backwards in terms of service delivery and obviously of trying to adhere to these protocols. I think we need to be very serious about what we do itself. There is a serious concern about the economy. I see that. And everybody has made comments about that. But in reality, what happens mm-hmm. is that we're having a start, uh, stop-start approach and we're not really moving or we're not making progress because we haven't done it right from the onset itself. You know, you mentioned protocols there, Claude, and I'm, I appreciate the fact that you mentioned protocols are important, but those protocols themselves, wherever they have to be implemented, they can only be as fluid as the conditions on the ground mm-hmm. allow them. For instance, the presence of equipment and their ready supply, the presence of staff. The amount of traffic, for instance, if we're at level two versus at level four, invariably that protocol will be different and the um, ability to enforce that protocol will be, um, of course, consistent with the level of the traffic. And many other related issues in terms of even staff morale. I mean, if you find that two or three of your colleagues over the weekend now have to self-isolate because they've come into contact with somebody who has COVID, it changes how that protocol is effective. Now, how strong are these protocols and how fluid are they in your experience, which in a sense is an inherent limitation of COVID, not necessarily because it's your fault or that of the government or any other stakeholders, but all of these protocols really are as good as the conditions on the ground would allow them. My thoughts, yours? Yes, you're quite correct. Um, what we've, we've said from the onset, if you observe all protocols, you are more likely to mitigate quite a bit of disinfection. However, if you're lax about it, it's going to spread quite vigorously. For example, SASA, which pays out social grants and so forth. Those are situations in institutions where offices are very small and it's a ticking bomb because you are waiting for an infection to, to arise because not necessarily that they don't have the necessary PPEs, as you've indicated, but because of outside forces, because of the number of applicants that are actually coming into the office, the number of applicants that you have to see on a daily basis itself. And I think in this situation, in particular reference to SASA, I think we've seen a lot of influx of the people at the offices simply because the electronic uh, means of trying to get service delivered to the people didn't work. You had problems with the infrastructure as far as IT is concerned. People had to wait very long for application process to unfold. As a result, people got impatient and decided to visit TASA offices. This now puts a problem uh, or put a strain rather on what protocols you've actually put in place. Those protocols mm-hmm. were designed only to attend to so many applicants or so many members of the, pro- uh, of the public on, that, on a particular day. But because sure. systems elsewhere did not function, you find that members of the public being anxious, wanting to find out the status of the application, there goes an influx of applicants to the SASA offices 
putting our members at risk there. And when you try and implement those protocols, you get resistance from the public because, quite rightly, they've also been waiting there for the entire day to get answers. And if you get to a situation where you're trying to enforce those protocols, they do become angry. Um, our, our members are being obviously threatened and indicated, listen, we want answers and so forth. So there are external forces, like you indicate, no matter how fluid, no matter how much a protocol that you put in place, you are going to be subjected to some sort of risk. Sure. Let's take a voice note then for your attention, Mr. Naka, with your response after it, please. Correctional services is a disaster. Is a disaster. You know, we were once told that uh, we are going to be tested. It was on a Wednesday when we arrived there in that hall. We were told that uh, mm, it has been postponed until further notice. You know, when it comes to this uh, COVID-19 laws or rules that uh, at least 50% must work, then 50% must be on lockdown. This thing, mm. this thing only started last week. All this time, the, the way we work, it's impossible to have a social distancing. Uh, you know, some people are tested positive. In a few days' time, you are seeing them, they are back. You know, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can say, I think all of us in this department, only maybe maybe only 10% that is negative, come to Vaterfar. Please keep me anonymous as anonymous. Thank you. The potential for institutional sabotage is high when the thoughts as those espoused by Anonymous are there. Only last week they talked, well, only last week they implemented what they have been talking about for the longest time. It means now insurrection or the possibility thereof is quite high within the membership simply because they are as despondent or disillusioned as they are. Final comments to wrap up the segment, Claude. Yeah, if I, if I could hear the listener very carefully indicated that he was due to be screened or tested and subsequently it was postponed itself. I think, yeah, as I highlighted earlier on itself, is that no matter how laborious, no matter how tedious, this whole task of ensuring that the health protocols in place, it's a matter of life and death. We have to follow through basic things like the necessary PPE, the necessary screening. Uh, forget about the high-tech uh, evaluation that you need to do in, in order to protect. If the necessary PPEs are there, and they are given to staff timelessly, I'm sure we will be able to mitigate the risk of this pandemic quite significantly, especially among correctional services, among SAPS employees, among SASA employees, and among home affairs officials itself that deals with the public and hundreds of thousands of publics on a daily basis itself. I think we'll be able to mitigate it. I won't say that we'll be able to totally eradicate it. That will be ridiculous to indicate that. But I think we can probably mitigate it to a large extent um, that at the end of the day, those officials that are currently at the workplace will not face the brunt of having to carry the workload of officials who have tested positive and are now on sick leave itself. We're calling on the employee to take this very, very seriously and try and protect public servants who are at the cold face of this pandemic.
Fantastic, Mr. Claude Naka. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much then for your time, National Manager for Members Affairs at the Public Service Association. Let's take a very short break before I tell you a little bit more about the segment that involves you who sits at home and listens to my voice. Less about me now for the next 20 minutes and a little bit more from you. I'll tell you a little after this.